episode a quick word from our sponsor for relaxing times make it centauri time hello and welcome to ribbon of memes episode 60 um Mm. this is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other lost souls as masterpieces i am uh nick the aging uh lost uh, once famous but rapidly faming film star, and I am joined as ever by my colleague Roger. No, no I, I'm not going to be the ingenue. No, it's, it's <laughs> well, there's no one else in the films. <laughs> we've run out. Of, we've run out of characters. Um, that's not quite true. We are in the year 2003. Yes, and we are discussing Sofia Coppola's second feature proclaimed by many to be a masterpiece lost in translation yes well it, it won an academy award uh it did yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. well let's just okay. let's just dive in that awkward silence may say something towards <laughs> whether we thought it was a masterpiece or not um okay this is a story of two lost souls um the ageing actor Bob, um, whose star is fading, has come to Tokyo uh, to earn a ton of money uh, doing a whiskey commercial and manages it to look incredibly ungrateful and unhappy about it. Um, and uh, the young wife Charlotte, um, a wife of a photographer, who's photographing... Um, I, a photography, yes. Photographing. <laughs> photographing, usually. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes, thank you. I got distracted thinking of photographization. Um, the um, the young wife of a photographer who is um, here to take a portfolio or do a story on a young rock and roll band. Uh, I think they're well, presumably Japanese. They they don't really feature in much mm. of the film. Uh, they meet each other and develop a connection. And that, I, that covers it. Yeah, I I think it is fair to say that this is basically a film about being about alienation. You know, about you know, mm-hmm. I'm in a strange place. I do not get it here. You are also in a strange place. You do not get it here. We have something vaguely in common, and from there we make friends with each other. Yes, and I um, I've got a lot of sympathy with that. For you know, alienation is um, a very difficult and peculiarly or particularly lonely feeling um, I, I, I think most of us have experienced it at one time or another going to a new job or a new uh, university or a new school or pretty much anywhere where we don't know anyone um, so I think that is a universal feeling and there are valuable things to say about it and I think um, that well, well we'll perhaps talk about the relationship uh, in a bit, but mm. that that feeling of alienation, I agree, it permeates the entire film, um, and is the whole reason for the film. The relationship, I guess, is the other half of the story. Yeah, I, I think it would be fair to say that this is, at least to some extent, uh, based on Coppola's uh, life. So she, she dropped out of college in her early twenties. She travelled to Tokyo quite a few times. Yes. She spent a fair bit of time in Tokyo, wondering, you know, what am I going to do with my life. Yes. So, and, and it's yeah. described. I, I, I think she or other people have described it as semi-autobiographical, or certainly heavy elements of that. Uh, uh, at least that element of "I am lost here." Yes. Yes. Um, uh, and and, and I, I, I think we <laughs> yeah. both, in, in the first few minutes, started feeling, "Hang on a minute." Is this yeah. a racist film? Yes. I'm are, are we the baddies? <laughs> I'm afraid I did that the the moment and it may have been already later than it should have done but the moment it struck struck me was the visual gag if you like of uh Bill Murray being very tall in a lift full of um shorter people mm. and this 
Uh, I I don't know the way it was framed and his expression uh, started to make me think. Hang on, is, is that a joke? Because um, uh, because Japanese people is shorter. Is that the joke here? Um, and then it was followed up by, uh, frankly, a, a kind of a, a, a more or less a montage of Japan Japanese stereotypes, as far hmm. as I could say. Um, the Japanese people here. At least in the early part of the film, but I don't know that it changed very much. Uh, either portrayed as kind of uh, jabbering, bewildering, incomprehensible. Um, How dare they not speak English? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, they, the, the, I'd lost count, frankly, of the number of times <laughs> it became a sort of comedy that R and L. Oh, um, yeah, and uh, I, I remember that being told as a joke when I was a school kid in the 1970s. Yeah, and that uh, even then you were aware it wasn't that cool to do it. Uh, and like... I think, I mean, I, I certainly knew by this point, I suspect a lot of people knew that, yeah, actually it's just a matter of what vowel sounds you hear when you're a small kid, and yes, what consonant it's, sounds it's... and so on, and, and so that, that's what you learn to distinguish. And yes, the, the, and the Japanese sound age. is somewhere between the R and the L for us, so it's easy for us to mishear it. Well, yeah, uh, what a shame, but. Yeah, but, but to make that, I mean, we have, I, I think, a Lock and Lowell joke. We have, um, the Japanese prostitutes, um, unable to, it just basically becomes a source of comedy. And, uh, I, I think a, I mean, it's used as a source of alienation, but, uh, the Japanese culture is portrayed as utterly incomprehensible, in some ways kind of aping Western culture, but mm. not quite getting well, that, it. Well, that's another 70s thing. Um, you know, back, back when um, Japanese electronics tent were still had a reputation for being a bit cheap and grotty, it was very much, you know, the West invents something and then Japan makes it cheaply. They, they imitate stuff. And there's a lot of that. I think particularly yeah. when we're talking yes. with, with the guys in the rock band, you know, they're obsessed with you know, surfing and so on. Yes. Rather than, as it might be, Japanese things. But yeah, I mean, there's a whole checklist of Japanese cliches. You short people, you yeah. said, karaoke, restaurants where you cook at the table, the whole yeah. lot. And. <laughs> Billboards and, uh, and. Well, yeah, that, 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 those first scenes, um, yeah, he, he's going through the taxi, he's just off the plane. We've got all these great big neon facades streaming past. That that's in you only live twice from 1967. For, for, <laughs> yes. for, you know you're in a foreign weird place now, and, and it's 2003. <laughs> yeah, it's all set up, and I I understand it's building up this feeling of bewilderment and alienation, alienation. And as I say, that's a that's not. Uh, I, I think that isn't it an important and certainly a uh, fascinating emotion that we've all experienced. It does. I feel here it does it at the expense of. An entire culture, <laughs> really, yeah. to evoke that. These are people who not only find themselves utterly bewildered uh, and a little... Uh, they're not even so much scared. As they, there's a kind of paternalistic, condescending feeling coming from both of them, I felt, towards the culture. It's not... Uh, I, I think a lot of it is, is that it's not really about the culture and I wanted it to be, which is fair enough. Yes. But you, you know, you could set this in Moscow or Mumbai or Mombasa and it would basically be the same film with, 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 with different backgrounds. And I guess, I mean, you could say it's not about Tokyo, it's about these Westerners' perceptions of Tokyo. It's through their eyes. And yeah, yeah I mean, Toto's song Africa similarly is about some white guys who've never been to Africa thinking, gosh, wow. But it, it it was shot in actual Tokyo. Coppola specifically wanted it to be set in actual Tokyo, and and I well, think she, it's she a huge missed it, opportunity. She's called it a Valentine's letter to Tokyo, um, which I mean, if I, <laughs> if someone I love got a Valentine letter like that, I, I don't think quite. It would be like, uh, here's all the things everyone thinks about you. Um, and completely missed the point of them. If, if mm. someone, it, it's a strange. I don't know. It, it never quite stops uh, all the way through the film, and and whenever Murray, uh, as I gather, he was frequently allowed to or um, given free reign to do, improvises. Mm. 
he improvises along those lines, I find. Certainly all the scenes where it says, oh, and he, he mostly improvised this one, they're the ones that are, are problematic to me in a lot of ways, mm. I'm afraid. The ones where they're in the sushi bar, they're at the counter in a restaurant, and they're looking at... Uh, this infected foot of Charlotte's. Well, there's people, you know, expecting to be served, and then they're joking about, oh, someone will probably eat this uh, in this country. And I agree. If you didn't want I... to eat sushi, you could have gone to McDonald's. There's been McDonald's in Japan since 1971. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's. Um... I think the defence could be if I mean I, I get the impression a lot of people don't feel there's a defence to be made that this was just um, uh, well you know this is a, I, I'm just being affectionate rather than openly mocking. Certainly, it, uh, uh, this really doesn't show up in contemporary reviews at all. No, I couldn't find it at all. In yes, exactly. In Except ones actually written in Japan by and for Japanese people. <laughs> yes, that's when it starts to come out. And at the time, well, I think at the time, funnily enough, uh, in Japan there was a a bit of an outcry as to the portrayal of Japanese culture, and um, I think rightly. I mean, that that was not was not something I was aware of um, when I came into this mm, film. Same here. A bit a bit of googling in. Basically, I was is lost in translation racist, um, and that all came out. I mean, there was a lot. Uh, I, I think it would be fair to say we both try to um, go into these things fairly cold. You know, I, I, I will look mm. at reviews afterwards when I'm thinking, okay, what did other people say about this? But I try to see the film itself without getting a strong idea of what's going to happen or what other people have said about it. Yes, exactly. Um, and even before I'd started watching it, you sort of went very quiet about it, I think, to see <laughs> if I arrived at the same conclusion. Um, and quite soon after watching it, yeah, I, I, um, I sent you a message a bit concerned about the, the direction of it. Um, I mean, it never, uh, I guess... Well, did did uh, you I, see this? Had you seen this before? Um, no. Okay, so, uh, I mean, I, we, we can't be 100% sure that either of us would have felt this way about it had we seen it in the cultural context of 2003. Yes. I, I mean, honestly, I suspect maybe I wouldn't have felt that. I, I don't know. But I certainly felt it now um, in the current context. Um, and that's not to... Uh, and there were certainly people who felt that way at the time. It was just really not mentioned in the majority of, uh, of reviews, as you say, except for the one from Japan. Um, but, but apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I, I suppose the good thing, if there is one, is that it, it never really progresses beyond that level of kind of mocking and racism, and so you can you can tune that out, or at least be aware of it and think, okay, that's happening. What else is there to enjoy about the film? Or, or that's it, what it, I it try feels, to approach it as. In a way, quite synthetic, uh, which I don't mean in a bad way. There, there is this hard division between these two, who are whom we observe in some detail, and you know we observe that they are trying to live their lives, and then the environment, which includes um, Charlotte's husband. Yes, yeah. I mean, most. I, you know, we were talking at the opening. There aren't really any other characters, and the. the there really aren't. Um, as, as we say, we get a very brief glimpse of Charlotte's husband. We get played by Giovanni other... Ribisi, whom I did not recognise. Oh yes, from um, I know him from um, Saving Private Ryan, amongst um, yeah. other films. Uh, so I did recognise him, um, but he's he's really, as you say, their backdrops. You know, it's telling, and I'm sure deliberate that um, uh, when phone calls are portrayed, the um, the other the the voice at the end of the line is a bit indistinct and a bit hard to make out mm. you're not quite sure sometimes what's being said um, and that's because they're backdrops to these two characters and I suppose the defence of this uh, uh, xenophobia that we've been talking about is what you've touched on already the defence could be well we're just seeing it through their eyes and this is how it appears to them I, I suppose my counter argument would be well okay then I don't really want to get to know these <laughs> characters in that case they're not attempting in any way to engage with the culture they're in um, but I think well, but, but at that, the same time they're not just saying okay I'm going to stay in my room and read a book they're, they're, they're feeling that the culture is oppressing them by being yes. there at them Yes, yeah. They're like, why, why, why don't you talk and look like me? Um, this is making me sad and uncomfortable. Um, yeah, but I suppose 
the whole point of that, I think, is to evoke this sense of alienation and open the door for this connection and relationship. Mm. And I suppose insofar as it's supposed to do that, it, it works um, yeah, once you've yeah. got through that. So I think it is good at evoking that feeling of alienation. I'm just extremely uncomfortable at how it does it. Mm. And I'd probably, because we could just moan about that the whole time. Yeah, that's not. Then, that's not. <laughs> yes, if we leave that behind us, then we accept we have these alienated characters um, who are really, that's uh, pretty much the only thing they have in common, apart from the fact they come from a similar culture mm. uh, to each other. Yeah, I mean, he, as, as far, I mean, they, they don't go into great detail, but clearly he has been a big star and he now is yes. not a big star anymore. Yes. Uh, whereas she is the equivalent of just our, okay, she, she's already got, got through American college, which means A, she's got a lot of money and, uh, or, or has managed to find a lot of money from somewhere and B, she's done some quite hard things already. But uh, yes. okay, she doesn't know a lot about life, fair enough. Yes, and they're both in sort of moments of life crisis, whether it's Do I want to keep doing this? Yeah, yeah, and this being pulled out of their normal environment has given them a chance to reflect on their lives so far. And it it is a good, effective feeling of doing that. And um, uh, Murray, I mean, I I like Bill Murray a lot. He is... um, uh, He's very good when he's good. Um, he's awful when he's just phoning it in, though. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about Michael Caine before, always giving you the full Michael Caine. Mm. Bill Murray doesn't is not an actor who always gives you the full Bill Murray. <laughs> I, I think well, when he's in all crap films and doesn't care about them. Yeah, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff that I haven't seen that hasn't really come to my attention. To me, his, his two really big parts are Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, the, you, you could argue for other things, but t- to me, at least in 2003, it's been a while since he was in something big. I mean, yeah, all right, he was in Ghostbusters too. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but you know, he he was uh, you know, Bunny Breckenridge and Ed Wood. It may well have been a good performance, but it wasn't a, wasn't a big part by any means. Um, yes, he was in, he was Bosley and Charlie's Angels, the, the uh, Lucy Lou one. That sort of thing. Yeah, so that's what I'm about for, I, I, I think there may be a, Garfield. Maybe he hasn't by now. <laughs> I, I think there may be a certain. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is just him sitting sitting in front of the camera being himself, but he can obviously use that that experience of, you know, ten years ago I was the guy, and now I am less the guy, and and he can he can clearly make use of that in the role here, and I think I think it's very good. I'm. Yes. Good acting is very often based on the life, and I, I think he does an excellent job of that. I think he does. I mean, that I feel like his, uh, yes, his he, he does a lot of expressive acting or face acting, or have we talked about it before? And I think it really is good. It, you know, he does get across his disdain and confusion and bewilderment when he's attempting to carry out these commands again we'll skip over the uh, the connotation of the scenes but well, I, I, I can't help feeling that he, he, might, he might say to the tra- uh, okay maybe he might cause offence by doing this but he might say to the translator can, can you explain this at greater length or something like that that doesn't doesn't say to her you have screwed up I don't understand but does say to her you can say more I don't yeah. know maybe that's just me but... uh, no I agree but uh, they're all sort of things that would undercut the the kind of humour and I know, I know. I'm, I'm treating this as if they're real people in a real world, and, and <laughs> exactly. th- this is to some extent a play. I mean, you could picture this happening with, you know, Tokyo scenes projected onto the backdrop and a two-person play. I, that would be quite interesting to mount it that way. In fact, yeah, that is a, yeah, because everything else really is just background, and then you could have the, all the other actors and performers could just be kind of indistinct voices in the background. You wouldn't even necessarily have to understand anything anyone else is saying. Mm. It could all be portrayed through the actors. Um, but anyway, that's not that's not what anyway, we did. His, his world weariness and uh, ennui is well portrayed. Yeah. In fact, I, th- I do feel he does a good, very understated emotional performance here. And, and I can see I can see, and I was um, I was somewhat moved by the performances, um, I, I guess what I mean is, uh, I can see why people are really sucked into this love story because it is well acted and well portrayed. Um, uh, I, I, 
Well, there, there is another problem there, to be fair, and it, it was one that I, I again had to have some difficulty getting past, which is when this was filmed, Bill was 51 and Scarlett Johansson yeah. was 17. And, you know, the character is supposed to be a little bit older, but this man is She's three times this woman's age. <laughs> yeah, and... Well, we, and, we can yeah, talk we, about we, that. We've talked before, that, yes, we get this in Hollywood. Yes. But I, I don't find it comfortable to watch. Particularly it's, when it's when it's this obviously he is you know presumably deliberately because you can do amazing things with makeup he is he looks old and tired and she does not so she looks incredibly young and fresh but I mean it's um it's icky um, yeah and uh, well I suppose I I I don't want to skip over um, Johannes's performance so we'll come back to that in a moment mm. but because uh, basically they're these are the two performances we have and the rest is um, sure. background. Um, so she was, as you say, 17 filming this. Uh, and, and I think for that age, she's phenomenal in this as well. I mean, she, she's very... I feel like she's got less to portray and, and perhaps portrays her emotions. Uh, she's a character who's slightly uh, more reserved or doesn't wear her emotions on her sleeve. Uh, or she's not quite so readable as Bill Murray's character, partially because he's doing such a good job with his uh, emotional mm. acting. That's fair. Uh, and I feel that she's a bit less readable, slightly more inscrutable. Um, uh, and again, it's... Uh, I, so I think she's really, really good in it. Um, I think slightly it, it, less... It is underplayed to some extent, and perhaps it might have worked better if uh, Murray had also underplayed it or she had played it louder. So a bit less mismatched. But then again, maybe the mismatch is the point, so... Yeah, I, I do, well... It, it's interesting that the, the things that are affecting her are all the things we see immediately right there. You know, her husband is, is being kind of an asshole and maybe he's interested in, in this um, implied old flame or yes. whatever, as opposed to, uh, for for Bob, yeah, there's the stuff on the set, but there is also the um, conversations with his wife. Yes, and it's all much more of a remove from him, uh, for him. Yeah, but for her, yeah, her life is sort of laid out for us. Um, she, again, I, I don't know, I, I feel, I, I, I don't know, and I may be misreading it, but the, the, I feel she is objectified quite a bit here. Well, I mean, she's let, let, let's have it by around. that open, first opening shot, which is, you know, th- yeah. 30 seconds of here, here, here is this um, underwear clad backside. Well, yeah, gosh. Transparent underwear clad. I, I, I am told that, that uh, very, various critics who are more feminist than I have, have regarded this as subversive, and maybe it is, but... <sighs> It doesn't uh, seem to it's do a much. Fine line between subversive and just exploitative, and, and similarly, she's, um, you know, she's almost always just sitting around, kind of artfully semi-nude, in a cardigan and pants, basically, just underpants and nothing else. Um, uh, I, I did feel she was objectified, and interestingly, and I didn't really know what to make of that. I, I, she doesn't seem particularly objectified by Bob. Mm. In that she's never in that sort of state when he's with her. Um, well, that, that's he... the thing. That there's an element to the relationship which I would love to see. I, I, I didn't think really came through in the film. Um, but I'm just you know, picturing myself in a similar situation. Uh, I am well aware that as an older man, it's very difficult for me to be friendly and not overbearing to somebody yes. who is in a vulnerable position. And, you know... I, I think he, he's clearly a bit hesitant. I think that that could come through more clearly, maybe. But it may yeah. just be may just I may just be reading it in. But but I like I like that hesitancy. I like that you know I'm not trying to talk you into bed, and I'm not going to talk to you until I'm reasonably sure that you will understand that I'm not trying to talk you into bed. Yes, I I agree. I think that's there, and I think it is definitely more on his side than hers. Mm. I think she is. I don't think she's, you know, pushing anything particularly. I think she just seems a bit more careless mm. about it and a bit... Uh, and again, that, you know, fits with her youth and inexperience. He is a, a lot more like... And I, I think, to some extent, that's what... I was less uncomfortable. So, I guess these are our two problems with the film. <laughs> you know, the initial problems with the Japanese culture that we've talked about. The other one is this extreme, uh, I guess, May to September relationship would be the the way you'd describe it, but it, it really is quite um, 
quite an age difference as you say we've got a three times age gap here that is somewhat saved for me or at least made less uncomfortable by that reservation by that reserve um, so that it comes across to me more as uh, uh, oh this happened this is a thing that can happen to humans mm. uh, and it's happened to us um, I mean it doesn't quite go so far as to like how are we going to deal with this are we just going to embrace it are we going to well I, I think one of the very good things about it and I guess this is a spoiler but yeah this is a very spoilery podcast is yes. that it does not turn into a sexual relationship it does not turn yes. into a long term relationship and quite possibly they will never talk to each other again uh, yeah and again I think that's just one of the going in different directions yeah I, I think that does save it for me uh, rather than as I say be, I mean, basically, they fall in love, and I think they do a good portrayal of that. And I really do think, again, we're in a backdrop of kind of cliched Japanese stuff. But during the karaoke sequence, um, you I, or I did at least got this feeling with both just from looking at each other. There's no dialogue there. You know, you get this feeling that there's this kind of connection, this mm. really strong connection, and probably something you might describe as love behind it well um, I... yeah i mean what I, I i will admit i bring some baggage to this here because i've met a lot of people who argue that men and women can never be friends because sex always comes into it I'm ignoring yes. ignoring homosexuality for the moment and so on but you know, right, just to yeah, see yeah, yeah. Pe- people who people who might be partners cannot be friends without without at least the shadow of being partners in there and this has simply not been my experience so uh yeah. i think I, that's I, fair enough uh, so I, I don't have a problem with this going in as yes, okay, they can be friendly. So, um, the the closing kiss actually spoils it for me in that regard. He makes it too it, it explicit. Says, yeah, I, I was always thinking maybe there's a bit of sexuality in the background here, and that the the kiss made it. Yeah, there was a bit of sexuality in the background here, and for me, I'm, I'm not saying this is a general thing, but for the way I like to look at it, that that did spoil it slightly. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I, what I, okay, so what I appreciate about the relationship was, it was clear it was happening and it was something, and it was also probably something neither of them fully understood, mm. and none of, neither of them really were like, well, is this a relationship or what is this? It's a confusing feeling. Well, I, I think um, partly it's because they don't, and indeed we don't really have the, the vocabulary, the conceptual terms to, to do yeah. that sort of thing. I mean, if it's an affair, then yeah. that's fine. We know how that works. But but this sort of it's a friendship, but it's not going to last very long, and maybe there's a tinge of sexual attraction, but neither of them is going to act on it. And yeah. so yeah, we we don't have that sort of we we don't have a term for what sort of relationship that is. That peculiar kind of deep friendship, but ultimately still quite superficial, I suppose. Oh, obviously um, enforced and deliberately so by by this alienating background. And as far as they come to acknowledging that, I, I mean, what I liked is that rather than uh, talking directly about it, they dance around it and talk around it mm. in a very what felt like a very human way. You would just kind of ignore the problem, or at least just try and enjoy it, or it felt believable. And well, I, th- I think I, it helps that going in, they they both know that this is going to be a few days before they head home. Yes, yeah, and so they know. They don't necessarily have to confront it. This is a problem that's going to solve itself very mm-hmm. shortly. Um, uh, but they, they, uh, oh, what that, that I suppose brings us slightly onto the naturalistic style. Uh, I wouldn't say realistic, as as you say, because there, there there are situations where a character wouldn't necessarily act in a way, and they have to because of the plot, because they have to remain in this sort of alienated state. Mm. But the the acting style is. Uh, I found it. I, I found it comforting. It's not that difficult to follow what's going on, which I sometimes find with naturalistic styles. Uh, and it, it 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 does feel it does feel real in a lot of ways, and it feels like real people having real conversations. It is very artificial, as they often are these things. But it but it felt the style worked for me. It certainly didn't take me out of it. Yeah, and the filming definitely helps. And the the DP here is Lance Accord or Accord. I don't know. Um, okay. and he, he did some, well, basically the, the, it was clearly to some extent a collaboration between him and Coppola in terms of how they were going to set things up, but 
very much trying to use natural light as far as possible. Um, yes. I th- I, they deliberately uh, uh, used high-speed film stock and underexposed it so that they could use natural light. Right. And this is, I, th- I think this is quite subtle, but it means you, you don't, for example, have a jarring transition from a street scene to an inside scene that is, that is well lit and then made to look dark. Um, some, some of it is actually quite muddy, but that's at times when it wouldn't be really obvious what's going on, because it is somewhere inside and a bit dark and a bit muddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I get that, that all, the performances and, and yes, the, the cinematography all backs that up. Um, yeah. So yes, as far as the performances go, that that works really well for me, and that's interesting that the the kiss at the end spoils it for you. Spoils it for you, and I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe that is a dividing line between people who that was too much, or others who really wanted to see it and been waiting the whole film to see it, or whether yeah. it just felt natural or not. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, I, I would probably great, great director Roger here. Uh, I, I would I would probably have made it a kiss on the cheek, but that's me. Uh, I, I would say uh, I'm actually reminded of Gross Point Blank. Uh, originally, there was going to be dialogue for the last thing they yes. say to each other, um, but they just couldn't find something that worked. So on the set, Murray improvised. It's going to be a whisper, and even after that, they try. Uh, Coppola was looking for a thing to say. And eventually yeah. just said, okay, let's just leave it as that. It's their secret. Which, which I li- I'd like. I really think that works well. Yes, I was, I was, I, I mean, I knew the ending going into the film that it was this inaudible dialogue. Um, and I was, I was set up to be frustrated by it. <laughs> but I think, uh, I don't want to sound too sort of, um, defensive or <laughs> artistic necessarily about it, but I, I think to worry exactly what was said, is to sort of miss the point, really. Uh, it, it's not. But mm. what happens is that he they found a resolution that works for them. Um, and also, and, uh, because we don't know what it is, it could be anything. It could be the exact right thing. Yeah, yeah. Which would be different and, for each viewer, but each viewer can imagine it's the exact right thing, which is clearly the way it's framed. And 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 I like that. Yeah, I I, that, I don't find that as frustrating as I thought I would. And I like the contrast between that parting. And the oh, the really awkward, painful parting in the hotel lobby early, mm. earlier, and there I think Murray's acting is just phenomenal. That you can just see he's kind of uh, inwardly crushed um, and can't bear to leave it like that. Um, compared to how he is afterwards, when it's he's he's reached a resolution. Yeah. Um, I was just going to draw back and look at the relationship as a whole. Um, and did it work? Um. I, I think almost for me. I think you're right that the problem with the kiss at the end is it really does draw attention when these two characters are kissing in a romantic way. It does underline the age gap and the the weirdness and the, uh, the ickiness of the relationship as it could have been, and it wasn't really up until then, but as it could have been. I yeah. mean, he could have gender swapped it. I I, I know I, I'm, I'm always I'm always asking for more parts for female actors who are not in their twenties, <laughs> uh, but I mean, but I, th- I think I think it could have worked explored... better simply for confounding the expectation. There are films that have explored it the other way around, like The Graduates, I suppose, famously. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I'm not a huge <laughs> yes, fan yes, of you could, yes, you can mess that up too. But I'm sim- simply <laughs> saying here here is similarly a genuine relationship that doesn't have to become sexual. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I and think Cop- Coppola it... did did set this up with Murray in mind. Um, yes, to the point where she was potentially in dead financial trouble because she'd like spent a quarter of the budget without knowing for absolutely sure he hadn't signed a contract. He, he did anything. not sign a contract at any point. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Then again, um, you know. I, I suspect you get you you get a certain distance by saying my my surname is Coppola and my dad is the is one of the executive producers. <laughs> so yes, now this was her second film, wasn't it? Uh, the, the, after the, the Virgin Suicides, yeah. Which I don't know. Nor I. I've certainly heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Um, I, I, so the relationship, I think, does dance on the right side of uh, the way that the um, the problems we discussed at the start 
really crossed the line for me and really took me out of it. I, that that is not subtle or set up or excusable by oh this is the character thinking about it. it. It was just too much. The relationship is it dances for me on the right side of uh, this. The way it works for me the way I visualise it is this is a thing that can happen to people whether it is societally okay or not Mm. this is a situation people can find themselves in and I think it was handled sensitively and well and with emotional resonance so I Ah, I think think I've got it the reason I want to gender swap it is because if you know completely alternate path happens and they decide okay we're going to shank up together Nobody is going to be surprised by aging actor with with cute young thing. Whereas if it yes. were the other other way around, it would be surprising. It would be embarrassing. They would have a lot of work to do. And that's why I want to try telling it the other way out because there would be that extra pressure on them. Yes, they never really explore um, what the consequences would be if the consequences would be if they did make it explicit. I, in the sense, well, I don't mean the film doesn't because it's never going to do that. But the characters don't really explore that. But I feel. Again, we've talked about it before, but I feel like Bob probably is aware of, even though society would accept it, because that's the way our society is, in a way that it wouldn't gender swapped, it would still be a thing that would hmm. be talked about. Sure. And, uh, uh, and then we have, I, I suppose, there's a slight curveball. I had some problems with this. We then have another female character basically used as a, a prop um, about... To, so it's towards the end of the film where he finally sleeps, well finally, I mean it sort of comes out of the blue, he sleeps with the um, the lounge singer hmm. um, Yeah it would be nice if she were a character I agree, uh, the, yeah. the way I see that though is it's quite effective because as far as Bob is concerned he has not been coming on sexually to Charlotte so why shouldn't he sleep, why shouldn't he, I mean yeah break his vows to his wife etc but well, yeah, that's a. I think that was he, he doesn't. He doesn't over. feel he is being unfaithful to Charlotte because they don't have that sort of relationship, and maybe she didn't think they did either. But she's still, you know, you could have asked. <laughs> I, th- I think that her reaction. Yes, I like. So I was. Yes, I was a little disappointed that she's basically just a disposable character, another background character, and maybe that's to miss the point. It, and and it does. The re- thing is, it does make Charlotte into a bit of a cliched jealous woman at that point, which is a shame. It feels a bit unfortunate, I, and I suppose the way I read it is exactly as you say in a way, that all, both of them, Bob and Charlotte, are kind of surprised by Charlotte's reaction, hmm. and it makes them both... Yeah, I think, think that's fair. Hang on, is has she got a point? Is there something more here? So I think it works as a development to the plot. Um, I, I just felt it was unfortunate we had to kind of use another woman to do it, um, and it... It, again, I lost some sympathy with Bob here because you know it's just. Uh, I, I I I think it's a complicated. You know, the emotions going on in Bob are um, complex, and he's exploring that. I just feel that's teetering on the the edge of. Oh, I'm a sad white guy, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna deal with it in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think the whole film, the whole film, slightly. Particularly against the backdrop of of Japan and and the way it treats Japanese culture is, it teeters on the poor me rich white dude. Um, I have problems. You don't understand the problems I have being incredibly rich. I mean, one, one could picture it as because he is getting frustrated um, because he knows he doesn't want to pounce on Charlotte. Perhaps he's using the singer as a substitute. But yeah, because we don't see any of that process. We, I, I mean, I, I can invent that, but it's not in the film. Yeah, I, I think that's probably how it's... Yeah, that's certainly a, a reasonable reading of it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, the the, the I, singer, incidentally, Catherine Lambert, uh, was an actual singer in, in that hotel um, whom, whom Coppola had seen a, a year or so earlier and, and tracked her down to be uh, in that role. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you, we don't see much. He's almost entirely... Out of focus and out of shots, um, but um, what we see of it is certainly believable. Um, I mean, it sounds like we're coming round to uh, we were uncomfortable about a lot of the things in the film, but the overall love story. I, I, I kept feeling I was having to pick out the good bits from from the grot. Yes, yeah, it was a it was a hard one. Once uh, I I did get I found the second half of the film easier to watch, and mm. that was because. I had decided 
alright, I'm going to put that behind me and just enjoy the, the acting performances um, that we've got. Um, oh, also, and, a lot of it is they're dancing around each other and there's a certain amount of non-verbal acting, but it's all at a distance in the first half until they actually talk yes. to each other. And when they are actually, and then the, you know that we have the very interesting and I think well played scene when they finally are in bed together. It's it it is in a much more kind of emotional connection way and almost a kind of paternal father son almost father. Well, I say father son because it doesn't feel desperately sexualized. So, well, it, it's um, more of a parent child thing, you know. He, parent child. He, here here is this yeah. lesson that I have learned that I can pass on to you. Mm. Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe it will help you, and maybe it won't. But and it's just slightly toys with the fact that they are both a bit confused as to what's going on here, with his, you know, his hand sort of lingering on her foot, and him clearly being uncomfortable about it, but feeling being compelled to, and her. It's it's just an interesting scene, and I, I think where the relationship really does work for me, and that why it doesn't quite get icky. It's because they're both clearly confused by it, and uh, particularly uh, Bob is uncomfortable about it, and it, and is mm. really kind of enjoying her company and and very deliberately I- ignoring what that might mean. Sure. Um, sure. Until he almost has to confront it, and even then they don't quite. And I can see, I suppose, talking it through, I can see in that context why the full-on romantic kiss at the end. Mm, yeah, it, it's. It makes it explicit that they are aware there's something more going on, and then that brings with it the kind of ickiness along with it. Yeah, I, I think I think you'll probably. I, I mean, I think pi- you me round pi- picture alternate narrative uh, where they they let's say about the two thirds mark they share a romantic kiss and then both of them back off because holy crap I didn't mean to do that, and then yes. and then by the end they can repair the friendship that they had. I, that's yeah. a story I would I would like better, but uh, but what what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean this is not a traditional narrative in in a lot of ways, um, in that it feels like a, 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 a I can't really fault it for the way the relationship goes, because it feels like it, it does feel natural and real and and mm. well done, and I can see that's why people strongly react well to it. Um, I, I, I perhaps not as sympathetic to the characters as I should be, um, and, and and a lot of that is that I really have to look past the way the culture is, is treated that they're treated, the the way the culture is treated that they're in, and the way they constantly mock it. Um, as you say, you have to filter that out, and that takes some busy work, and it takes you out of the film. I'm just um, comparing, I mean, I, I have not seen this for a while, but I, I have uh, watched Ridley Scott's Black Rain 1989, right, uh, which yeah. is something, you, you, you've got, you've got uh, two American cops in Japan, and they are interacting with the culture, and, and the, the culture is not their friend. Yes. And, but it, but it works, that's the thing. Um... It's. I, I. I. At least came out of that thinking. Well, yeah, it's different, but it works in its own way. It's got its problems. We got our problems, etc. And, and I. And that was. I think that was what I was subconsciously expecting this to be, as yeah. opposed to the. The. It's really just about these people. Well, they're not really. Uh, Japan here is not allowed any voice of its own. Really, there's mm. no character. Well, uh, it may just be me, but towards the end, I was thinking, hang on a minute, you. You framed this shot. So that we only see the faces of these two people, and everybody else is just a moving body, or they're facing away from us. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah, I've got to assume that's that, that deliberate, might... but I really don't like it. It's. I just wish there'd been a different way. You know, there are other films that have explored that feeling of alienation, like Taxi Driver. Without, um, I mean, the, the interesting. Uh, the, you're not necessarily always. You you can be sympathetic to these alienated characters, but you're not necessarily on their side in a lot of other explorations like Taxi Driver as I say um, I mean Martin Scorsese is very good at that kind of um, uh, exploration mm. um, I, I just wish the feeling of alienation could have been evoked in a uh, a less difficult way or a more respectful way and I I, what, I suppose what disappoints me is I don't think Coppola feels like it was a I mean she's she has been reported as being surprised by people who felt it was racist mm. Um 
uh, and um, said that she, you know, she loves Tokyo. It doesn't really come across here if she loves it. I mean, the, even the, um, you know, the historical and culturally significant thing in Kyoto where um, uh, uh, Charlotte goes, they're portrayed as kind of mysterious and ethereal and there is no humanity to it. And I suppose if I'm comparing mm. that to Black Rain, there are human characters on the other side in, of that culture. Yeah, uh, it, very much so. And there, there is nothing. It's not really. It, it's effectively an alien culture, alien as in extraterrestrial almost. It, it just doesn't feel like these characters are of the same species as, uh, as our protagonists. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I've, I've spent a certain amount of time in uh, foreign cities for often conventions and things, and you know, the convention is over and the socialising is over for the day, and I go back to my hotel room. But I don't feel um, isolated in that way. You know, I might wander out at two in the morning and find a fast food place that's still open, and, yeah. and, and we can have fun trying to understand what, what, what I'm ordering. <laughs> things like that. It, it's, yeah... Yeah, I, I, well, well, as I say, I mean, I, and I, I don't want to belittle the fact that being adrift in a culture that is not your own is an alienating feeling. Mm, I, I think it may be a thing that that I deal with in a in a specific way, which these guys clearly don't, and therefore it's it's a little weird for me to see yeah. people just floundering. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I am not uh, the most kind of necessarily gregarious person, and I probably would feel a bit lost too. But I, uh I don't know. It, it doesn't capture the feeling that I would feel. It, it's more sort of uh, mocking. I, I that that was I the feeling. It, it, it's so much the emphasis on the cliche of this is what Japanese people are like, this is what Japanese culture is like, as opposed to, um, you know, this is what the Japanese want to show the tourists. Yes, yeah. It, yeah, it, it didn't feel um, true. I, I haven't visited Japan, but... You know, yeah, same it, it, same it, it, here, so... Yeah. So maybe maybe that is exactly how I feel, but I I, I get I gather from the reaction basically of, of Japanese watchers uh, that that isn't what it's like. We both had a similar reaction earlier on. So I suppose drawing it all together, um, the performances work very well mm. for, for me, um, particularly Murray's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Scarlett Johansson is is very good here. Um, I just. Either she's got less to do, or she's a bit less expressive, or, or something. But it, it just she's slightly. I mean, she feels a bit more objectified in a way. Um, mm. I mean, she is very, very pretty here, and and it's. Uh, I, I don't know if that slightly gets in the way a bit as well. In um, uh, in in that she is a bit less of a believable character um, because she's just so. Uh, good-looking and, and sort of unbelievable as a character that might be interested in mm. Bill Murray's character, I suppose. I wonder if we're meant to go into this expecting it to be, you know, edging actor meet, meets groupie. And, yeah. and and then be surprised when it isn't. When it's a more subtle... Uh, and I think it's fair to say that the love story itself, unlike... Um, I, I did. I did believe in a genuine deep friendship. Uh, again, we don't have the words for this. A, a non... A, Definitely non-sexual, largely non-romantic, but very strong friendship. And you don't see that relationship portrayed very often mm. in films, and and that I think is, I think that's the root, because although you don't see it, that kind of relationship does happen to people, and it happens Absolutely. a lot, and everyone deals with it in very different ways. Um, and I think that is that is a valuable thing that the film brought along. I'm slightly surprised talking about this that I I, I feel like I respect the portrayal of the relationship more than I felt when I was watching mm, it. Same here. It, it's definitely a film that improves in, in in recollection for me. Yeah, yeah. Because watching it, I did find quite hard. Um, but yeah, I, I'm surprised that we both uh, being quite kind about the relationship because I, I think in retrospect it did work relatively well. Um, or, and it, it, and I, a, a ton of kudos for portraying, for the most part, even if we had some problems with bits of it, uh, a non-conventional relationship in a nuanced way. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that has got to give it a lot of points. The the thing, I, okay, this, this is perhaps silly of me, but you you know how adaptation is about the process of making an adaptation that that specific film. Uh, yes, I, 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 I would love to see the film based on, to some extent, the making of this film because um, 
it was a you know American DP and, and a couple of senior guys, but it was mostly a local crew, and they had to use translators on the sets, and they had all sorts of problems with that. Yeah, I mean, and, I, I, yeah. There, there was a fifteen-minute overrun shooting in a restaurant, which for the Americans, oh yeah, we have around fifteen minutes. The the, the owner of the restaurant said, "Right, you're, you're treating me like dirt. You gave me a day, you gave me a time. You're going to be out by, and you're not out by that. I'm going to turn your lights off." The the, the Japanese location manager resigned after that. You know, see, that, I, I would love that, to see that stuff happening in a film. Yeah, those little cultural things that just they're not kind of cliched or obvious, and those things that would absolutely trip you up because they're. The problem with that, you know, the, the difficulty sometimes with culture clashes is when they're very close to your culture, but there's these things exactly like that that utterly come out of the blue for you. You're just not expecting, well, 15 minutes is going to be fine. And it turns out you've mortally offended someone and, and cost someone their job. That, yeah, I completely agree with you. I'd want to see the, um, uh, uh, the Shadow of the Vampire version of this. <laughs> <laughs> they, they'll make it, not necessarily with a vampire. Well, though. we know who's going to be first to get eaten. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Murray would be uh, good in that as a vampire. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree with you that I would have, it's not the film this is trying to be, mm. but I, I would like to see a genuine film about culture clash with that sort of thing rather than just, oh, these people aren't like me. Yeah, but I'm all right. The the thing I'm always looking for is okay. So both sides kind of have a point here. Yes, and that's that's not what this film is. That's not what this film is trying to be. No, and it, it's. I I think it would have worked a lot better if it had found a different way of evoking that feeling of alienation. Uh, but, but if I, if we I, come down to it, um, am I going to say masterpiece? Well, no. Uh, I, I I like it better than I liked it. Uh, immediately after I finished watching it, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I will revise my opinions upward in the future. Mm. I think it is too. I I would struggle to promote a film that just to me is quite blatantly xenophobic uh, to a masterpiece. Uh, I I think the the elements of it that masterpiece. I I think the and, and a huge amount of. Um, Respect for portraying an, an interesting relationship, for the most part, sensitively and, and realistically, but I, it really is dragged down. But I, I found it, it really got in the way uh, for me, and I found it uncomfortable to watch because mm. of that. Um, and, and as we've said, this may well have been less distracting for the original audience. So it may have been. I did. I suppose the other reason it's not quite a masterpiece for me is. The same reason Ghost of Mars almost was for me. It just it wasn't that enjoyable a watch, and not just not just for the my problems with the culture. I, I, it is quite slow. Hmm. Um, I, I try uh, I try not to be a, a cliched modern viewer and complain about the speed of a thing, uh, yeah. but but I do feel that it's not it's not that it's slow, but it, it, it each point it wants to make it wants to make it very great length to make quite certainly didn't miss it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it just takes a bit longer and lingers on artistic shots that I don't find that interesting to, to look at to watch. <laughs> so I, I think for those reasons it isn't quite a masterpiece. I can see why people think it is, though, and I can see why people... You know, when I, one of the things I found when I was looking into sort of background reading for this film, some people have written a lot about this film, like pages and pages and pages and pages of... of of in-depth study of it, um, which I didn't trudge through, <laughs> but it, it it showed me that people do have a real depth of feeling and really respond to this film, and I can see why. I'm just I'm not quite there with them. Yeah. So, well, shall we move on to 2003 and film? Yes, let's do it. Uh, so this is this is the year that Hollywood notices. You know, there are an awful lot of people watching this fantasy stuff. Maybe we should give it some awards. So, Lord oh. of the Rings: Return of the King gets eleven Academy Awards. Wow. Okay. Yes, that was. Yes, I remember this year. For uh, the, in, the including best picture, best director, and adapted screenplay. I don't think it quite deserved all that. <laughs> I, it's it, they're good, but. Um, so, Lost in Translation gets original screenplay. Right. Yes. Um, um, other other. Uh, Two for Master and Command of the Far Side of the World, which we'll come back and talk about in a future date. Uh, two for Mystic River, the Eastwood neo-noir crime. 
Yes, that, yeah, that, that, never seen it. I remember people being fascinated by it, but I, yeah, I, I I felt no enthusiasm for it. But that's yeah. um, Sean Penn and Tim Robbins, uh, yes. actor and supporting actor. Um, it breaks up a little more after that. Uh, best actress goes to Charlize Theron, Monster. Oh, I've never seen the that. Eileen Warnos. It it does. Let, let let us say it takes a particular view of who Warnos was. And makes the makes it look as if that was the only way she could possibly have been. Right. I mean, okay. On the one hand, yes, she was a victim. Life had dealt her a really horrible hand. On the other hand, she was also a pretty horrible person. So <laughs> you know that it, it, I, I can see you can't say both in the film. But when you've got somebody whose victims' relatives are still alive, it's at least insensitive. Yeah. Being very sympathetic. Yeah. Anyway. And th- there is always going to be some potential Oscar-winning for. I'm a very good-looking person. I've made myself look not good-looking for this film. She gained £20. I can gain £20. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Best Actress was Renée Zellweger in Cold Mountain, which is, um, you know, Civil War deserter goes home to his sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I've no particular interest in watching that. Yeah, I mean, it was Jude Law, Nicole Kidman, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty um, grim-watching. Not as grim as that one with them. Um, Unlike many Civil War it. films, it is reasonably consistent with what we know about the period. So yeah, that's something. Oh, okay, maybe I'll try. Maybe I, in my head, I might be getting it mixed up with Revenant, which is the one where just horrible things happen to the <laughs> protagonist for the whole film. Uh, but at the box office, I remember we were talking about sequels. That I, I have two non-sequels in this. Hey, oh, in the I, whole I, lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think. Let me just uh, check one of them. Uh, okay, one of the, one of them I, I does have a spin-off later. Okay, number ten, Bad Boys Two. Okay, <laughs> that's not for me. Well, it, it, it has some influence on um, film. Like John of the Dead guy. Uh, Edgar Wright. No. Oh yes, on Hot Fuzz. It had some influence on Hot Fuzz. Um, yes. The, yeah. I liked Bad Boys 1 enough, not enough for a sequel. Though, I, I've not seen any of them. Uh, at number 9, X2, so the the X-Men sequel. Oh, right, yeah, okay. This is this is when superhero films are still not quite guaranteed moneymakers yet, so, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, I wonder num- if we're reaching a point where they're not anymore either, but... Probably not. Well, people keep suggesting it, but they but they keep actually coining it in when they get released. So uh, they, these are the ones where, at the minute, we're at, oh, it made less than a billion dollars. Has the bubble burst, which is a bit <laughs> depressing. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll come back to that uh, in in a few uh, films' time. Uh, okay. Number eight, uh, Matrix Revolutions, Matrix Three. We have not been ignoring this. Uh, we we are no. intending to uh, treat the whole series um, when we come up to number four. Yeah, we'd like to watch number four. I, I personally, I've never seen any since The Matrix. So it'll be interesting. Same to here. About that. <laughs> I, th- I thought it worked well as a story in itself. I didn't think it needed more, but anyway. Uh, another three more for sure, but we'll see how we fit. <laughs> uh, number seven, Terminator 3. Uh, oh, go back and see episode, or well, listen to episode 35 if you want our thoughts on that. A short version, we weren't, weren't super impressed. Veterinary surgeon protagonist for the win. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number six, uh, t- talking of um, racism, uh, The Last Samurai. Oh, goodness. I've never Tom, seen that. Tom Cruise is a better samurai than all those Japanese guys ever could be. Yes, manages to be white man's saviour and, <laughs> and many things besides. Um, uh, that that, that is one of the two non-series films. Um, number five, the other one, Bruce Almighty. As I say, it did get a spin-off later, but it, it's oh, basically uh, Jim Carrey as a guy who complains to God and oh here, here, here we, we will hand you uh, complaining white guy awesome power yeah. oh, it turns out it's not as much fun as you think oh yeah no thank you <laughs> it's also such a Hollywood uh, look at how I don't know religion works <laughs> anyway I, I've not got many good things to say about that mm. Uh, number four, uh, the the other one of the of this lot that I have seen along with Terminator Three was the the first of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh uh, yes, and yeah, th- this is another one where I've never actually bothered to watch any of the sequels. Um, Probably but wise. The, this in its own right, I rather enjoyed. I really didn't expect to. It's uh, one of those a bit like no. um, Jungle Cruise, where it just it's much more enjoyable than it should be. <laughs> mm. um, 
Um, but yeah, just yeah, it, it was. Uh, this was the second one. I, I can't remember what the first one was. And then, then the haunted mansion was, was such a complete disaster that they stopped for ages. And Jungle Cruise is, is where that starts to recover again. Because you know, they're not going to not try to cash in on their rides, but they can leave it a generation until people forget how, how bad the last version was. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's got to be better than a uh, film based on battleships, which actually happened, and I still can't believe it. They they took out the peg missiles. They were in the trailers, but they weren't in the final cut. I mean, that was the one <laughs> redeeming feature of that film. Right, yeah, yeah. And it wouldn't know. Okay. Uh, so, number three of The Matrix Reloaded, because the two and three were released in the same year. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. Uh, number two, Finding Nemo, which uh, you, you have children, I assume you've seen it. Uh, yes, many times. <laughs> uh, the, the sequel's better, um, Finding uh, Dory, um, but it's a very good, well-made Pixar film, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's good enough for most. most I, I haven't days. seen it. Uh, and at number one, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, uh, which was the second film to make, to bring in more than a, mil- a billion dollars. Second highest grossing film of all time after Titanic. Oh, really? They all, all the superior films that hit above a billion now, but. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got inflation. So. We have, yeah. I mean, this was, uh, oh, we're less than 20 years ago. Mm hmm. Oh, okay. All right, well. But, but I remember seeing the first film in the cinema and the second one. It can't be 20 years ago. <laughs> I've gone past the stage where things I had a memory of were 10 years ago, now they're 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. and rapidly approaching 30 or 40 years ago, which is getting. I remember Challenger. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> right. Well, there we are. That will draw this alienated episode to a close.